Welcome aboard the good ship, I Want to Party with Bob, and the Bobcast. This is episode 29, the history of Tilt Wheel Part 6. Wow, these episodes are really coming along, aren't they? Six episodes of just Tilt Wheel stuff. That's pretty good. I like it. All right, this is the uh, special Tilt Wheel of the Many Bass Players episode. We had four bass players in the two years after the exit of Ross in the year 2000, from 2000 up to very early 2003, that is. Now, there's one event in particular that really, I mean, breaks my heart to this day, and it's going to be a little rough to talk about. I'm going to give it a shot, okay? Can you guess who the band of this, the special featured band of this episode is? And what the song that was playing at the beginning and should be kind of slightly playing quietly in the background right now, if my editing skills have been up to par? Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, it's Till Wheel. Uh, very interesting. That song is called, bear with me. It's amazing the things you find in your pockets after a bender. Jesus Christ. Davey, it, you really went through a period of naming songs with the craziest, longest song, song titles ever. Like, what were you thinking? I was all after Hairbrain, too. I mean, okay. I, it's cool. No, no, no. I'm Okay, I'm not complaining. I want everyone to understand that. I'm truly, truly not complaining. It's just interesting. I'm just, But I just kind of started to notice that. I was like, this, this podcast is going to deal especially towards the end with the twice the dose split that we did with watch it burn okay now that every song title on that is like very wordy very wordy yeah interesting we don't have time to call that song you know it's amazing things find your pocket after better blah 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 as we're playing live or practicing or whatever so we call the song tits up that's one of the lyrics in the song that's how we refer to it there you go now, like I was saying, that song was off of 2002's Twice the Dose Split that we did with San Diego's Watch It Burn, who were and are to this day great friends of ours. They're great, great people. A very handsome gentleman, too, by the way. Yeah, truly. Let me give you a little rundown of what we're going to cover in this episode of the podcast, or Bobcast, however you like to say it. I kind of don't care anymore. I think Bobcast is a little uh, cliche at this point. Maybe. Ah, Whatever. This one is going to cover the days after Ross's departure of the band in September of 2000 and ends pretty much right when Paul joins the band playing bass in late 2000, early 2003. Now, those years from 2000 until late 2000, early 2003, not counting Paul, Tilt Wheel had a total of four bass players and two, actually two different versions of the band. It's a long story, but I'm here to sort it all out for all of us, okay? First up after Ross left was a gentleman by the name of Letty. Then for a short time, another guy or gentleman, I should refer to him as, uh, Andy in 2001. And lastly, Jared played bass from late 2001 until he passed away in December 2002. Note this as well. For the better part of 2002, Davey had moved away to Texas and the Texas version of Tilt Wheel with Mark on drums and Chris on bass were touring and doing a bunch of stuff. So Davey came home for good shortly before Jared passed away in December 2002, literally the day before he passed away. Yeah, I mean, there, some of this is rough for me to talk about for sure. It's not easy, even, you know, it's 17 years later after he passed, and it's still pretty rough. I mean, I'm going to get, yeah, it's an important story to tell. I really do feel of all the Tilt Wheel histories, this one is kind of the most heartbreaking and roughest ones for me to tell 
because Jared and I became really good friends when Davey left, especially. And, you know, I don't know. We'll see. We're going to get through it. No, no, I'm going to make it through. I should say not we, obviously, if you listen to the end, you made it through. And I'm still here today. So I did make it through that period. But yeah, hey, here we go. I'm getting ahead of myself as usual. Now, we had a very adventurous tour with Andy during September of 2001. You remember 9-11? You know, never forget and all that shit. Yeah, yeah. And also note with Lenny, the thing that really stood out for me during Lenny's tenure in Tilt Wheel was our trip to punk rock bowling in early 2001. And that was, oh, you'll hear about that. Whew. Jesus. Yeah, fuck. I was a drunk back then. But yeah, you'll hear about it. Now, at the end of the podcast, we'll have a full song by you know, the band Tilt Wheel, surprisingly. And that's a song we have not played live in years and years and years. I can't even remember the last time we played it. Maybe had to have been with Paul at some point. Just I can't really remember exactly when. That song is called Kids Enthralled by Fish, Erie, Pennsylvania. Now, I believe that song title is a reference to a Tilt Wheel tour that I was not a part of that Davey did with Mark and Chris. And Davey saw something with some kids and a fish in Erie, Pennsylvania. But apparently, it would make sense. There's a fish and some kids involved. Hence, the song title, Kids Enthralled by Fish, Erie, Pennsylvania. Oh, I don't think we ever even played that song enough to give it its own nickname. No, I don't. I really don't think we did. Well, okay, cool, great. That tour that the title of that song came from, I believe, was sometime in 2001. And all of the song titles on the Twice the Dose split are a reference to that tour, I believe. I kind of, no, I never asked Davey about it because he's, dude, the guy's busier than shit. I don't want to bug him. So I'm going to go with that, okay? That yeah, sounds good. Great. Do a real, like, historical thing. You know, let's talk about history. And I'm so, you know, and I always say, oh, I'm so big on facts. Oh, but I didn't consult with the guy that actually wrote the song titles. And is that, I'm guessing it's conjecture. You know, deal with it. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I have to throw this in here now, though, okay? I don't know much about the Mark, Chris, and Davey version of Tilt Wheel because I was not involved with that aspect of the band at all, not even a little bit. Now, I, I could not tour, really. The job that I had was pretty gnarly, and I had to be there. Also, I wouldn't because I didn't really like touring back then at all, so I didn't really want to go on any long tours. Davey wanted to tour, as any band should. I mean, if you're in a band that's got stuff going on, you should go on tour, I think. And so he more or less formed like a touring version of Tilt Wheel prior to his moving out to Texas. That version of Tilt Wheel was active from summer of 2001 up until Davey came back to San Diego area in December of 2002. That version of the band has its own history. I'm not going to get into that now because this is more of the Tilt Wheel history from my perspective. You know, this series where we're up to episode six in the series. This is all my perspective, okay? There is going to come a point in a future podcast where hopefully, you know, I'm going to be covering some of the more like kind of random things from my perspective that went on with Tilt Wheel. And I'll hopefully talk to Davey and get a good interview out of him as far as what uh, happened during the Mark, Chris, Davey years, you know, like year and a half or whatever it was, because I really don't know what they, I don't, I know they played the first fest in, in Gainesville, Florida. I know a lot of stuff went on. They toured a lot. They did a lot of stuff, but I really think that's a story that needs to be told. So we will get to that after more than likely after I complete this 
more or less linear series of the tilt wheel history from my involvement and my perspective. So does that sound fair to you? Sounds great to me. I was thinking of something, you know, I, the one idea I also had is there were kind of a lot of people involved in that, like Todd from Razor Cake went on tour with those guys during that time. There were a few other people that were involved, like our good friend Alicia went on one of those tours. I would probably like to talk to them and do, you know, like a series of interviews, maybe with Todd, with Davey, with Alicia, and just get some stories and interesting little things out of them, I guess you should say. So, yeah, that could be cool. We'll look we'll look for that in the future. We'll see. We'll see. Now, what is the burning question that you guys are always asking yourself at the beginning of any podcast that I do? Yes, that would have to be, what beer am I drinking tonight? What beer is it? Bob, what beer are you drinking? What beer is featured on this episode? This episode's beer is Plan 9 Ale House's Stout Who Cannot Be Named. This is an 8.666. Ooh, you get that? I like that. 8.666 alcohol by volume, Imperial Stout. Let's give it a try and see what it's all about. That one has a little bit of a bite to it for a stout. It's got a little little hoppiness involved there uh, at 8.666%. It's also got a little kick. Ooh, yeah. Oh, I like it. It's not, you know what it does though, after like the kind of lingering effect of it. It warms your stomach like a good shot of whiskey or something like that will do, which I don't drink, by the way. But I do – I love that feeling after you take a shot of some good, good booze. Like, oh, that feeling you get in your stomach, yeah. Oh, it's good. Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. God, thank you so much, Plan 9 Ale House, for your support and especially, especially for the amazing beers that you make. Now, don't forget, pay a visit to Plan 9 Ale House soon. The I Want to Party with Bob Buy One Get One food special is going to end soon on – December 31st of 2019, to be exact. This is what that special is. If you haven't been paying attention to what I've said every podcast, you know, wake up, pay attention. Buy one food item at a regular price. Get one food item of equal or lesser value for free. Now, that's good for one person, one time, who also you'd have to be a first-time visitor to Plan 9. Alcohol is excluded from that deal. I'll tell you what. The Plan 9 beer that Aaron makes at Plan 9 is so fucking good it really is like my favorite beer i'm not kidding either i'm not joking around that beer it is so good so good so head on in get some beer get some food where's plan nine ale house if you haven't been paying attention i wish you guys would pay more attention oh maybe you haven't i'm gonna give you the address anyways they are at 155 east grand avenue in downtown escondido california plan nine can be reached by phone at area code 760-489-8817 or on the web at www.plan9alehouse.com give them a try tell them bob sent you great free stuff great beer what else do you want you might want a new record to listen to after you get home from plan nine alehouse with a growler you know to go from plan nine they do do that at plan nine so why don't you head on down to uh, red brano records red brontosaurus records in north park uh, san diego california Sober, do not go down drive, drink and drive. I do not endorse that in any way, shape, or form. Don't even think about it. We won't be friends anymore if you do that. We are going to hear a little bit more about Red Brown later, about halfway through. So let's just get to it. Let's get to the podcast itself. Here we go. Bass players. Okay, by this point, we've been through two bass players. Aaron was the first bass player that we lost. Now we lost Ross. At this point, we have been a band for nine years. So that's a pretty good run, actually, for two bass players, I think, isn't it? Eh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm no judge of time frames with band members, but I think that's a pretty fair run. After Ross left, 
things didn't really feel very good or look too good for Davey and I. We just didn't feel like it was going to be the same or as good or as rad or great or whatever. No matter what we did without Ross, it didn't feel like it was going to be the right thing to do. So shortly after Ross left, Davey and I were talking and we almost stopped doing Tillwheel. We almost said, okay, that's it. You know, we don't want to keep going on without Ross. It kind of sucks. And I, I think if I remember this conversation correctly, Davey's words to me were something like, fuck it, we're going to kill Tilt Wheel. We'll start like a Ramonesy kind of sounding band, and off we go. And no more Tilt Wheel. Well, we kind of hemmed and hawed for a little bit, and we did finally decide, no, let's keep it going. I mean, you know, we can, we still have things that we want to do, and et cetera. So let's keep it going. Let's find a bass player. So I do want to say another thing about Ross, dude. That was a fuck. That was a fucking huge blow to our morale, to Tilt Wheel. Ross was family. He was a brother. I mean, Aaron was too. That was huge, though, with Ross. That really was. It was unexpected. And, you know, I, I no fault on Ross whatsoever. None. Zero. Zip. Never a hard feeling. Nothing like that. We just missed him. We really wanted him around. We wanted him in the band. And that he unfortunately felt like he had to leave for his own reasons. And good for him. I mean, Ross did what Ross needed to do. Cool. That's great. But, yeah, we missed him dearly. So, we did, you know, it, it, let me say this too. Everything did work out in the end. As I say these words in 2019, that's 19 years after Ross left. And we're still great friends with him. There's been, there will be another version of Tilt Wheel with Ross in later years. So shit, it, things did work out. At that time though, it was a major bummer. The first step of getting through the Rossless time was finding a new bass player. And so here comes our friend, Ugly Lenny. Or his real name was... Uh, his stage name, Ugly Lenny, I should say, uh, Lenny Bly, as he is less insultingly referred to. We had known Lenny for a long time, since you know, probably the mid-90s, for sure. He was a regular at a couple places we played all the time in the mid to late 90s, Velvet and Joe and Andy's in La Mesa. Velvet was kind of near the airport in San Diego. Lenny was a guy that we saw on a pretty regular basis, a friend. And guy, I guess you yeah, say that, that's fine. Whenever we would play Joe and Andy's or Velvet, normally he was there. We'd see Lenny kind of out and about here and there. The initial, the run with Lenny on bass in Tilt Wheel really didn't last very long. And here's, here's we're going to talk about that. Here's kind of a weird and kind of a lame story too, on my part, okay? This is where I'm going to take a shot at myself because I do want to kind of report this as it happened Truth be told, it's not real comfortable for me to talk about this because I kind of did some shitty stuff a little bit. You'll see. Lenny joins the band, okay? I think we practiced a couple times. I pretty much got kicked out and or quit. You know, I more or less forced Davey's hand to kick me out. Didn't really give him much of a choice. Very shortly after Lenny joined, okay? And that was in November of 2000. Now, keep in mind, Ross quit in September. I think Lenny joined up in October, Maybe we practiced a couple times. Then around my birthday in November, which is November 11th, yeah, I got kicked out or quit. It's, uh, yeah, there we go. There's going to be more to Lenny's story because it, it, things carry on, obviously. I'm still here. So we had two shows booked on my birthday weekend in November of 2000. That was going to be my 31st birthday, for the record. Yeah, I'm old as shit now. Thank you. One show was on a Friday night at Scolari's office or the office in North Park. The other one was at some kind of skate shop or contest or something like that in Ramona on the Saturday after the office show. Okay. Well, the Friday night of the office show came up and I call, I tried to basically call in sick. I called Davey and said, Hey, 
you know what, to both shows. I said, you know what, I'm not feeling good. I don't feel like leaving the house. I'm tired. Can we cancel these shows? I really don't want to play. And I'm making myself sound good by saying it like I'm sounding reasonable, right? It probably went more like this. Hey, I don't feel good. I'm not playing. Davey, uh, Davey and Lenny, we went back and forth for a while. Come on, come on, play, play. Okay, I wasn't budging. For whatever reason, I was like, no, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not. I'm just not. You know, Davey and Le- they said finally both of them, you know, calling back and forth over the period of about an hour or so, they were like, okay, well, we'll cancel the Saturday show. Just please, please play the show tonight and everything's cool. And I said, no. And Davey said, you know what, dude, just come get your shit from my house. I'm sick of this. You know, you're not wanting to play. You're not wanting to practice. Come get your shit. I'm done with you. And I was like, okay, fine. So I did. And I get it. I mean, I, I, I get it. I, I had missed a couple practices up to that point. And keep in mind, I was in the midst of like really, really severe anxiety to my credit. But, you know, Davey was, they were, he was like, I'm willing to come pick you up and drop you off after the show and like go to all these extreme lengths to go out of his way for me to play these shows. And I just, for whatever reason, I was just being an asshole. Like, no, I'm not going to play. So I got kicked out. Okay. Well, the end. Thanks for listening. Uh, yeah, that was my, the end of my career until, uh, obviously we all know that was not the end of my career until wheel as it stands. We just got back from San Francisco last weekend. And aside from trips that I've taken to San Francisco with my wife and child and family, that was the best fucking trip to San Francisco I've ever had with tilt wheel. Like I said, I've, I've had more like, you know, kind of like relaxing fun trips, family trips for sure. This musically speaking though, this was the best band trip we, I ever fucking had to San Francisco. Oh, I had so much fun. I did get to see family. I got to see my sister-in-law, Michaela. Hey, shout out to Michaela and also my basically sister-in-law Lane up there. Had a fucking fantastic time playing music. I was bummed my wife didn't go because that's always fun. I love cruising around San Francisco with my wife because she loves to go to like all the rad places. So I kind of tried to transplant that into our trip. That was just like last weekend. Yeah, I tried to kind of carry on that spirit of fun that I have when I'm up there with my wife and we did a little bit. Yeah. We had a great time, man. So anyway, yeah, I'm still here. That was my whole point. Fuck major fucking sidetrack, dude. Plan nine. Thank you for the beer buzz of right at the start of the pocket. I did a shot glass of this. I swear to God, like, Oh my God, I got like punched in the back of the fucking head by that. Oh, it's going to be a good podcast folks. Stand by. So yeah, so I got kicked out. Um, wasn't that, that was a good time, right? Oh boy. The anxiety thing, by the way, I did want to say that's kind of an excuse because like I said, I could have carried on. I could have, Davey was going to come pick me up and all that. I was just being a shithead for sure. So I'm out of the band at this point, November of 2000. I'm done. I'm gone. I'm out. And I wasn't very happy about it. I don't think I just kept doing my thing and moving along tilt wheel up to that point was more or less everything good in my life pretty much. I mean, pretty much. I was pretty adrift, but let's fast forward a little bit. Christmas time of 2000, Davey sends me an email and it says, happy Christmas. I'm sorry. I'm an asshole. I wrote him back and I said, you know what, dude, you're not an asshole. Happy Christmas to you as well. We left things at that for then. Maybe a couple weeks later, Davey sent me another email and he said, hey, do you want to go to punk rock bowling this year? It was coming up in February, like President's Day weekend or Valentine's Day weekend, whatever. And I was like, oh, 
Yeah, I think I do. I think I do. That was kind of Davey's way of saying, hey, let's get the band back together. Sort of. I think you know, Davey and I work in, in funny ways, especially in the past. Now it's like, oh, whatever. Like, we're pretty straightforward with each other and don't mess around. We're fuck. We're both old, dude. We're both 50 years old. So, yeah. I mean, we're, I think we're past the point of being like dipshits in a way. Uh, not, not really. Maybe. I'm not. I don't know. Davey is too. I don't know. Back then, we were kind of weird. We're still weird, but we're not as weird to each other. We're we're pretty straightforward with each other for the most part now. So I agreed. All right, that was the third punk rock bowling. That was the weekend of February 16th to the 18th in the year 2001. And Tilt Wheel essentially reformed. That was Bob, that's me, on drums, Bob on drums, Lenny on bass, and Davey doing the Davey thing. That first Friday night of that punk rock bowling. Oh, fuck. Yeah, that was that was probably one of the drunkest, one of the drunkest things I've ever involved myself in. It was, Jesus Christ! Let's get into that story here. We were staying at the Barbary Coast Casino that's on the Strip. Okay, the bowling and everything was happening at the Gold Coast Casino. Now, the Gold Coast Casino is across the 15 freeway. It is exactly 1.2 miles. I looked that shit up on Google. Okay, 1.2 miles from Barbary Coast. Now, there was a free shuttle that went between the Barbary Coast and the Gold Coast. Excellent. They're owned by the same company. Great. Woo. Okay. We took the shuttle over on that Friday night after we got to Vegas, checked into our hotel and all that good stuff, took the shuttle from Barbary Coast to Gold Coast to meet up with some friends, get our team for the bowling thing registered, all that good stuff. And, oh, I got fucking shit house, man. I drank like a 40 of Mickey's on the trip out there. Lenny drove with his girlfriend and I, and, oh, he was going like 100 fucking swerving in and out of cars so yeah and i drank a 40 of mickey's on the way out so i was on my way we get to vegas start drinking right away you know drinking probably on the shuttle i don't know for sure definitely started drinking the second that we hit gold coast and i got drunk as shit so drunk that pretty much right after we got to gold coast i threw up in a corner of the casino couldn't make it to the bathroom apparently i threw up in the corner and i turned around oh shit there's Sean Carswell. Now, Sean had released a book back in 1999 called Drinks for the Little Guy, and I fucking loved, loved, loved that book. Sean also had something to do with Razor Cake at the time, and I think he kind of still does a little bit. I turned around. I told, hey, Sean, yeah, I just puked. Hey, hey, man, guess what? You know, I really love your book, man. It's great. Yeah, yeah, awesome book. Awesome. Good book. Good job, buddy. Yeah, I'm, I'm classy. I know. I know. Now, a little later, as... I couldn't apparently find a bathroom through all those flashing lights and noise and all that, being as drunk as I was. I, I think I went back to close to that same corner where I had thrown up and peed. I just pissed on the fucking carpet right in the middle of the casino, basically. I didn't get kicked out. Security did not chase me out. I don't know if there was a blind spot in the cameras there or what. And I'm not joking. I'm not totally not making this up. Puked in the corner, peed in it, didn't get fucking kicked out. Well... I did decide at that point I was probably too drunk to remain standing, so I tried to make my way to where the shuttle would pick me up and take me back to the Barbary Coast for sleep, okay? I sat, and I waited and waited, and it felt like forever, like maybe a half hour or so, and I was like, oh, fuck, where is this shuttle? So I go, you know what, I'm, fucking, I'm just going to walk back. I knew the way. I had an idea. Okay, a pretty good idea, I think. I decided to walk back, uh... Like, let me just say for the record, though, I really, I probably only sat there 
waiting for that shuttle for like maybe a minute or two. And my drunken haze was like, I've been here forever. Fuck, I got to get out of here. Yeah. So I also found out uh, the next day I was sitting at the a place where shuttles do not pick people up. I was com- just sitting on a bench out in front of the casino where no shuttle would go. So yeah, there was nothing. No, I d- was completely in the wrong place. The shuttle picked up somewhere else. If I had just had the brain power to figure out where the shuttle actually picked up, I would have been totally fine. But yeah, I was fu- I, fuck. I was wasted, wasted. So I started walking, sort of. Uh, I was falling the entire time, basically stumbling, kind of doing that bob and weave thing the whole time. I made it close to halfway across the bridge that goes over the freeway, about halfway, and I ate shit. I mean, really bad, like fell into this like gravel and broken glass and shit and was like, oh, dude, okay, I can't do it. I'm too tired. And I was right next to like a huge kind of bush and tree kind of thing. I go, fuck, I'm just going to lay here under this tree bush and take a little nap. And I did for a couple. I think this was probably around like midnight when this all went down and I fell asleep eh, maybe a couple hours, three, four hours at the most. I woke up, it was still dark, and I finally managed to make it to Barbary Coast, like barely. I walked there, I was in better shape, now my hands and knees were all fucked up, scraped up and just fucked, but I did walk to Barbary Coast, I made it. The next day we show up for bowling at the uh, Gold Coast, I memorized where that goddamn shuttle stop was, I go, okay, I'm not doing that shit again, I'm an idiot. Let me memorize where it is. Found it. Okay, good. Then after that, no problem finding this shuttle. And by the way, Tilt Will, that year, that third punk rock bowling tournament, did come in last for the third time out of three tournaments, which was going to be a tradition up to a certain point when our handicap got so large we could literally not bowl and pretty much win the entire tournament. So, yeah, we kept that tradition going for as long as we could until – that basically became like an untenable situation. So, yeah. So, after Punk Rock Bowling, I think we played a couple shows with Lenny. Uh, we recorded a very early version of that the song you heard back there at the beginning, the Tits Up song, at Davey's house. And I remember recording that shit. And, goddamn, when we were writing it and recording it, I struggled with... There's a weird drum break about, like, three quarters of the way through the song. Fuck, I struggled with that. I mean, I it took me forever to get it down. But once I got it, it was great. Lenny, soon after that, ended up leaving the band. His girlfriend at the time, and I, who I believe is his, his wife now and still to this day. And this was, like I said, I mean, what? How many years ago is this? Like 18, 19 years? Lenny had to leave. He said, well, my girlfriend's pregnant. You know, I'm not going to have time to be in a band, so I'm very sorry. I enjoyed my time with you guys. I'm out of here. Okay. All right, Lenny. No hard feelings. Good for you. Let me take this opportunity to say thank you, Lenny, for playing in Tilt Wheel for the short time that you did. And I do think you are a rad dude. Thank you for your service to the wheel, Mr. Lenny Bly. Very much appreciated. Now, next up, Davey took off on tour summer of 2001 with the Texas version of Tilt Wheel. Again, I couldn't or wouldn't go and Davey wanted to tour. So off they went. And like I said earlier, the Texas Tilt Wheel is going to be covered in another podcast. But next up for me, all right, Davey came back. We were going to head out on a short West Coast tour in September 2001 
with the Thumbs, who were from Baltimore, Maryland. And we had already played one show with the Thumbs in Vegas, met, and I think we played in San Diego and Vegas with them. So we knew the dudes. They're great dudes, awesome dudes. You're going to hear more about them in a minute. During that tour, I was kind of looking at being basically homeless because I had to move out of the place that I was in in August of 2001. By the end of August, that tour was going from like right after Labor Day, which was September, or Labor Day was September 3rd. The tour started on September 4th and didn't end until September 21st. So they had no reason to pay rent during that time, right? I moved all my stuff into Davy's house for the duration, and off we went. Well, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself because at this point, we didn't have a bass player, remember? Yeah, yeah, you, good. You are paying attention. Great. Now, let me just say, that would have been a very hard tour for me to get out of because I was living at Davy's house, right? So, not actually, I, I got the time off work. I wanted to do it. I was like, kind of got a little jealous, like, shit, Davy's out there touring, having fun. I'm sitting here like an asshole working, you know, 50 hours a week like a fucking moron, not playing drums, not really having any fun, not doing anything that I like to do. I'm going to go on this tour. And I, okay, so we did it. We did need a bass player. Now, somehow, Davey knew of or heard of a guy named Andy Brown, and he lived in the San Diego area, and he played bass. I'm not sure about the timing on this, and I didn't. I do still have contact, the ability to contact Andy, I should say, via Facebook, and I didn't bother to ask him. I think it's this part's not really that important. Andy might have been in this band from San Diego called Subterranean Horses, and they're fuck, they're rad, super rad. So I don't know if we heard of Andy from Subterranean Horses, or if we just kind of got referred to him by somebody that said, "Hey, hit this guy up. He's a rad bass player, and he's free, so he'd probably be able to tour with you guys on this tour, and maybe play with you after that." So, regardless, we did talk to Andy. Davey did set it up. Andy signed up for the tour. He practiced like one or two times. And fucking Andy, dude, he nailed like every song we had up to that point perfectly. That dude was a like an incredible bass player, musician, period. Dude was gnarly. He nailed it. I think he learned every song we had up to that point, which was like maybe 20 songs or every song that we played at that point, maybe like 20 songs or so in like two practices down tight perfect absolutely perfect that he would dude was a machine he was so good i'm not kidding he was also very quiet and he was which was kind of refreshing in a certain way no not to say anything bad about ross ross was very um you know very alive and very uh vocal at every moment every breathing moment that he was uh around he he liked to talk and have a good time ross really did Ross was just a ball of life. Andy was alive in his own way for sure. I'm not saying he wasn't, but Andy was very, very quiet. So it was like, oh, okay, so the bass player guy's quiet. Okay, cool. Yeah, we didn't no trouble from Andy ever. Yeah, yeah, super mellow. Now, at this point, you might be asking yourself a question because at this point, this is where I kind of started to think about this a little bit. Here's a question you might be asking. Bob, how would you rate the many bass players of Tilt Wheel. Can you give us a top five or something like that? Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. Now, there have only been 10 bass players that in my, by my counting in the his, entire history of Tilt Wheel, like a 27, you know, almost 28 year history, right? Compare that number, that 10 bass players, okay? Compare that number. There have actually been, including myself, six drummers in Tilt Wheel, and there have actually been two, two, main guitar players including Davey there was a guy before Davey I don't even remember the guy's name I really don't uh refer back to like the second or third podcast I think 
I remembered his name back there. He's, I think we practiced with the guy like twice, and then we got Davey. So just keep those numbers in mind. Ten bass players through the history of Tilt Wheel. Six drummers through the history of Tilt Wheel. Two main guitars. Now, notice we had a shitload of, like, second guitar players through the history. I'm not going to get into that, okay, because that's kind of a can of worms in and of itself. So I'm not even going to talk about that. But I'm also going to say this. You know what? I'm not going to give you guys the satisfaction of going through uh, satisfaction or dissatisfaction of going through and rating any of the people who have played bass and tilt wheel for this podcast. I do have an internal rating system in place for every member of tilt wheel ever. I do. That is never fucking going public though. Maybe on my deathbed, if I'm lucky enough to have a deathbed, maybe you can catch me there and I'll give you my internal, you know, top whatever's of tilt wheel. Okay. I'm going to say this, though. This is an interesting thing for me to say, too. I think right now is probably the happiest I've ever been in Tilt Wheel. There's some reasons for that. There's a few different reasons for that. One of the biggest reasons, though, I think is is my maturity level. Like, I'm a lot more mature now than I was when I was, like, in my 20s and 30s. I'm fucking 50 years old, you know? So, I hopefully, I'm more mature, right? It, I think we're all more mature. Davey and I, even Maddie, our bass players, you know, in his, like, I think mid to late 30s. So he told me the other day, fuck, I can never remember how old he is. I want to say he's like perpetually 35, but I think he's a little bit older than that. But yeah, we are all a little older and wiser. We all get along absolutely great and don't really have any issues these days. And we have so much fun when we play shows and travel together. It's fucking awesome, man. There's no drama. Not that there's ever been like a terribly huge amount of drama, Sometimes the drama that was there, I definitely created too, by the way. But these days are absolutely great. I, I have to say it. This is probably my favorite lineup of Tilt Wheel that we have currently. I don't want to slight anyone that's ever been in the band, period. I really don't. I love you all dearly. I truly, truly, truly do. But yeah, take note of that. Really, that's important to realize. I'm not slighting anybody else's contributions to Tilt Wheel as a band. And Maddie and I were sitting around at the airport while we're waiting to come home from San Francisco a couple days ago, and we're talking about things, and it was just, it was like, yeah, dude, this is like the best version, the most happiest any we, we've been as a band ever. It's fucking fantastic, man. Oh, by the way, Maddie is my favorite bass player from Till Wheel. <clears throat> oh, yeah. <clears throat> Did you? Oh, shit. I hope that doesn't mean I'm on my deathbed. Yeah, Maddie's, Maddie's my favorite. Okay. So, um. I was talking about Andy at one point before I fucking totally steered this boat like into the reef of the dangerous seas of the raiding people things. <laughs> okay. So yeah, we we're talking about Andy. Now Andy was Andy was awesome. Andy was an incredible dude. He's got all the songs down. So we head out on this nearly three week tour. We barely knew Andy. Like I said, he was a really mellow dude. I, I almost feel like I almost feel like this tour that we did, this September of 2001 tour, should get its own podcast. Some really crazy shit happened. Obviously, 9-11 happened while we were on this tour. Never forget. I'm going to hit on the key points, however, and we'll keep moving through this. There are some very key points that are very hilarious. Bear with me. We're getting to them. They're great. Now, we were, we were starting in San Diego. The furthest point north we were heading to was Seattle. And we're going to go basically up to Seattle. And back down to San Diego, just along the West Coast, and had a ton of stops kind of in between. We were mostly based through most of that tour. We did a lot of stuff in the Bay Area of Northern California, played a bunch of shows. We played 
like this warehouse in Oakland. We played at Gilman Street. We played at a BART station on 24th and Mission in San Francisco. We played this big, like, fest thing called Punk Rock in the Parking Lot, number five in Oakland. Yeah, we had a ton of shows in the Bay on that one. The most notable thing that did happen on that tour was this, okay? Heading to Seattle early in the morning of September 11th, Bobby of the Thumbs was driving. He's listening to a Spanish-speaking radio station. The DJ on that radio station, this is really early in the morning on the 11th, right? Started saying, like, alarma, alarma, over and over again. So Bobby's like, what the fuck? We're all, everybody else is pretty much asleep. Bobby changed the station to an English-speaking radio station, and we heard about the plane, the first plane hitting the World Trade Center in New York City. And we're like, holy shit. Then we're out in the middle of nowhere, like in southern Oregon at this point. Eventually, we make our way to the venue we are playing in Seattle, and it was in the Ballard neighborhood of Seattle. And the place was called the Ballard Firehouse. And we were playing. It was a weird lineup, honestly. It was kind of interesting. We were playing with this band of kind of like older dudes, like this kind of grungy band, and then like a bunch of kids in this like kind of grind, kind of thrash band. And they were rad, too. I, I wish I could remember their name. I don't have a flyer or anything for this one. And it was also Tilt Wheel and the Thumbs. There was fucking nobody there. Except for when this kind of grunge band played, that place was packed to the fucking gills. It was gnarly. I was like, whoa. Now, keep in mind, this is 9-11, the actual evening of 9-11. There was nobody on the streets. It was like the whole town was deserted. Everybody was scared. Nobody knew. Was there another terrorist attack coming? Seattle's a big city. Are they going to hit the city? Oh, what the fuck? We don't know. Most people stayed the fuck home, right? Oh, they came out in droves to see Grungy Joe play. I don't know what the fuck they were called. They they weren't very good, and they packed the place. They finished playing and left. Fucking everybody left. There was nobody, nobody left there. Uh, there was a fellow there at that show, and uh, a younger fellow. His name was George. Uh, George, yeah. Oh, George. Long-haired recent resident of either Idaho or Iowa or something, uh, kicks written uh, in Sharpie on his jean vest. George, yes. I can't verbally do George justice. To attempt to describe him, George, I can't can't describe him, and and it's not going to be up to par with just the sheer George-ness of him. Let me, let me, okay. Let's let's backtrack a tiny bit. Let me give you the cast of characters, the people that were on this tour with us. Yeah, Davey, myself, and Andy in Tilt Wheel. Uh, Mike, Bobby, and Lee in the thumbs. Now, Mike played guitar and sang. Bobby played bass and sang. And Lee played drums. It's Lee Ashland, by the way. I need to straighten that out because you're going to need to know who he is. Davey's friend, Chris, a female Chris, by the way, was driving us for some reason. She hopped in the van at some point and... We were stuck with her the entire tour. Okay. All right. It's kind of interesting. But, hey, I got to say, she drove us, like, pretty much everywhere. It was kind of great. Like, the other guys didn't really have to drive much. I didn't drive at all then. I was so fucking anxiety-ridden. I was an idiot. Yeah, so Chris drove us most of the time. There were seven people at that night of that show in Seattle. Where do you think most DIY punk bands will spend the night after a show before they move on to their next show the next day? Yeah, that's right. Either with people that they know at their house or something or squad or whatever the fuck in whatever town they're playing in. If they don't know anybody there, usually a DIY punk band will stay with somebody they met at the show that's cool. will come up and say, hey, where are you guys staying? Oh, we don't really have a place. 
oh, come stay over at our house, you know? There's only 10 people that live in a garage, but we'll make room for you guys. Okay, sounds good. But that's what you do. I mean, it works. Great. You can't afford a hotel because you probably didn't make enough money or you wouldn't have enough money and gas to get to your next location. That's one way to save money, and it's also a good way to meet. I've met a million awesome people that way. So you make future friends, etc. Who was at the show on that fateful night of 9-11, September 2001? Well, our friends Chris and Aaron did show up, but they didn't have room for us in their house. That's seven people's a lot of people. Now, a quick side note about Chris and Aaron. We met them at, I think, the second punk rock bowling and bowled right next to them, became great friends with them. They're super cool people. I actually married uh, Chris and Aaron on one of the lanes after the bowling was done, lied to them, told them I was an ordained minister, and that marriage was legal and binding. Uh, spoiler alert, I am not an ordained minister, and that marriage was not legal and binding. I did finally let them know that I wasn't, but they were stressing for a little bit. So another quick side note, too, I saw Chris at both the Punk Rock Bowling of 2019 and the Gainesville Fest of 2019. He was at both events. Chris is a rad dude. I've known him for, yeah, yeah, what? They were uh, 18 years, right? 18, 19 years, something like that. Yeah, Chris is super cool. So quick shout out to Chris, Tola, Ray, and Aaron of 206 Records, which is based in Washington State. They are rad people. I love you guys. I just wanted to say hello real quick. There you go. Who does that leave? Now we can't. No, so you literally have Chris, Aaron, and George at this show. Seven people looking for a place to stay. Who does that leave to ask where we can stay? Well, that leaves George. And we stayed with George. And George was very, very, very interesting. Now, George had recently relocated from the wilds of either Idaho or Iowa, I can never remember, to to his brother's house in Seattle. And I'm damned if I'm going to try and get a hold of or find George and ask him anything. Now, apparently... Idaho or Iowa had had enough of George and his bullshit. So George had to get the fuck out. George regaled us with tales of the outlandish and extraordinary that night and into the next morning. Davey was very serious that next morning about watching that actually that night and the next morning about watching TV to get some kind of idea what was going on in the world in the wake of 9-11. One point the next morning, George started screaming at the news at the talking head on the news yelling, my friend was walking across Iowa to legalize weed. And you guys, fuck you guys. And like, what the fuck are you talking about? At that point, Lee of the Thumbs, who was a rad dude. I think that dude like deserves his own podcast, to be honest with you. He's, he's an incredible guy. He told George, man, will you just shut the fuck up? Like, he, the dude would not stop babbling like fucking incoherencies the entire time we were with him. Uh, at that point as well, we decided, well, this is probably a good time for us to leave. Telling our host to shut the fuck up is not the best way to maintain uh, a decent level of hospitality on the host's part. So we we did uh, get out of there. Before we left, one of George's, also kind of a crazy dude, one of George's neighbors, tried to call the cops on Davey, who was getting into our van, because apparently Davey was a terrorist. You know, he's getting into an unmarked white van, doing like fucking terroristy kind of things, I guess. George came outside and he was going to try and defuse the situation for us and make things, our departure, go a little bit smoother, right? George's way of defusing this situation was to come out and scream like 
fuck, just absolutely incoherent obscenities at the neighbor to ease the tensions, right? Okay, well, Davey assured this uh, this neighbor guy, this NRA donor of the year guy, we're leaving, we're getting out of here, don't fucking call the cops, we're on our way, we're a goddamn two bands, we're not terrorists, you fucking moron. Did you notice on 9-11, or this was actually, I'm sorry, it's 9-12 at this point, there were no planes in the sky, just military jets flying over downtown Seattle, which we had a view of. It was fucking creepy. It was eerie. Very weird. Well, that night on September 12th, we played one more show in Seattle with a band that sounded a lot like a really shitty version of Social Distortion, who is already a kind of notoriously shitty band anyway. Yeah, and then from there, we headed down to Portland. In Portland, there was a fisherman that had just gotten off the boat. He loved us. He bought us all shots of Jaeger while we were playing, which we did drink. And the next thing I remember... We're in the van at a rest stop somewhere in Oregon the next morning, like Southern Oregon. Yeah, fucking Jaeger, man. That shit hits me hard. Oh, it was gorgeous, though. Uh, trees everywhere green. It was really cold. I remember that it was like from the 40s or 50s, which is cold to me. It, it was just, it was beautiful. So we all got out of the van to go pee, have a smoke, all that good stuff. And we all, we get back in the van and start heading south again. About an hour and a half or maybe two hours into the drive, I asked the other guys in the van, it, hey, where's Lee? Is Lee, like, hiding underneath a seat? We all look around. No, fuck, Lee's not. Oh, no. Shit, where's Lee? Well, we left him back at the rest stop. Yeah, and we were about an hour and a half, two hours south of the fucking rest stop. So we turn around, head back to the rest stop, and there's Lee. Oh, poor, cold, lonely Lee. <laughs> he had no jacket, dude. He just got He just got out of the van to go pee, right? He wasn't going to be there long. Go pee. Maybe have a smoke. Hop back in. Well, he took off without fucking Lee. But like I said, it was probably in like the 40s or 50s in Fahrenheit that morning. <laughs> Poorly, a trucker let him sit in his truck with the heater on so he could get warm. Random people were giving him cigarettes because he left his cigarettes in the van. I mean, took like one out in his lighter or something, you know. A family, actually, <laughs> traveling family actually offered to give Lee, honey, do you want some food? Are you hungry? Oh, poor lost little puppy Lee. (laughs) This family's like trying to give him granola bars and pouches of Capri Sun and shit. (laughs) If he knew Lee, it would be hilarious. That poor guy. Well, Lee apparently didn't think it was very funny because he turned from an abandoned puppy into a vicious pit bull. As we pulled up, he ran up to us. Fuck you guys. I think those were his exact words. Fuck you assholes. Why the fuck did you leave me here? I was calling, collect everybody that I knew to try and get a hold of you guys. Pre-cell phone days, really. I had his work cell phone, but it was this big blocky thing. Oh, that poor dude. He was there for like four hours waiting for us to come back on that cold, cold September morning in Southern Oregon. Yes, Lee, I'm sorry. That really did happen, by the way legendary story to this day uh yeah now onwards back to the bay area we go that we played a rad show at the 24th and mission bart station in san francisco our san diego friends were up there in vina cava we played with them and the local band that was playing with us was sharp knife and sharp knife were red the sharp knife people actually put the show on they plugged us in plugged the amps into a bus stop bench and we did like two or three song rallies each band would here's how that would work Each band would play a couple of songs each. 
then the next band would jump up and play more songs. That way, everybody kind of gets a chance to play just in case if the cops are going to show up and shut the whole thing down. We actually, every band got to play their full sets. And we did the rallies through the whole kind of experience or, or show or whatever. And there were, there was a fucking sh- a shitloads of people. That's a really busy little BART station and area in general. I mean, there were people of all walks of life there, like crusty punks, homeless people, you know, business people walking around with briefcases, just totally random people all stopped to watch a show smiling, you know, kind of dancing around, having a great, great time. And the cops walked by, saw, okay, everything's cool. Nobody's causing any trouble, no fights or anything like that. Okay. We're going to leave you guys alone. And they did. And you know what? We, you know, what we all kind of came to this consensus that after the horrible events of 9-11, after so many people died, you know, regardless, I'm not going to get into causes or any of that crazy stuff. That was a bad day because fuck, a lot of fucking people died that day. We can agree on that no matter what. This country, the United States, was reeling, was scared, was terrified. People didn't really want to go out in public very much. That day eased a lot of the tension for those people. And I think, and we all think, the cops saw that and thought, you know what? People are happy having fun. Let them. Just leave them be. It a, was a big stress relief for everybody. It was fucking rad. Yeah. One of the next things we did in the Bay Area was we played a show at Gilman Street in Berkeley. This was an Adeline Records showcase with basically all Adeline Records bands, the thumbs were on Adeline, and Adeline was Billy Joe of Green Day and his wife's record label, right? I think his wife ran. I mean, his wife was there. We were at their office's warehouse quite a bit when we stayed in the Bay Area through this period of time, and she was always there during the day doing business stuff. So really, I think it was kind of Billy Joe and hers. Also, Jason White had a lot to do with the running of the label, who now is a full member of Green Day and was from like the American Idiot record on. I believe he might have come in before that. He was in another band in the Barry, and I'll be damned if I can ever remember their name, but they were fucking fantastic. Jason White's very, very talented. I think Jason writes all of the Green Day songs from American Idiot on that are good. So, yeah, note that. The Tilt Wheel got thrown onto that show because we were on tour with the Thumbs, which was cool. At that Gilman show, a band from Poway who was on... Adeline Records, you know, Poway's in the San Diego area and some bunch of fucking dipshits. I can't even remember who they were, what their name, Agent 51. That was it. Oh, I just, I couldn't, I didn't have it in the script, but I just remembered as I am going to go through this very short shit talking period thing that I'm going to do. So Agent 51 was there along with the other couple of the dipshits that were in Pivot. Now I played in Pivot for a short time. And, you know, all these guys at fucking whatever the fuck they were doing. Quick note about Agent 51. They did win a lawsuit against Green Day because Green Day basically stole the main riff in Boulevard of Broken Dreams, which was on American Idiot, from Agent 51. It's like, play these two songs together. Just look it up. Google, like, Agent 51 Green Day song or something like that. And you can compare the two riffs. It's the same. They lost the the case in court, and Green Day had, had to give them a bunch of money. But, yeah, I don't know what the fuck whose asses pivot was trying to kiss on that fucking tour but they were trying to kiss somebody's ass i'm sure let's move on shit talking aside all the guys from green day were there that night so billy joe trey cool mikey durnt they were all kind of hanging out which was interesting because they were basically banned from gilman street like gilman has this policy back then they did i don't know if they still do i'm sure they probably do 
no major label bands. They had an especially big bone to pick with Green Day because Green Day got their start more or less at Gilman, came up through the ranks of the, you know, the DIY punk scene more or less, signed to a major, got fucking gigantically huge. And the people that ran Gilman, I believe, felt that Green Day kind of shit on all those people who helped push them up to the top and felt, well, they should have stayed on lookout on an independent label and done their thing. They would have been much given back to the community that much more, et cetera. So Green Day was more or less banned from Gilman. Well, they were all there, which was interesting. And guess what happened that night? They played a set at Gilman Street. So yes, Tilt Wheel and the Thumbs that night did get to play a show with Green Day. And it was fucking rad. It was super, super fun. They pretty much only played songs off of Kerplunk and the 39 Smooth Records. It was tight, man. It was fucking great. I had a great, great time. We were like, wow, oh my God, Green Day's playing rad. So we went in and had fun, and yeah, it was awesome, man. The next day, we went back to the Adeline Warehouse that night, slept. The next day, Billy Joe took us out to breakfast at a place in Oakland, and the dude was super cool, super nice. He drove up in like a kind of a beat-up old Ford Ranger, had a bunch of kids' toys, like big wheels and shit in the back of the truck, took us into this place. I think it was called like Mama's Kitchen or something like that. Rad breakfast place in Oakland. It paid for all of us. You know, we all go as tilt. We were like, hey, you know, we're not on your label or whatever. Do you want money for this? No, no, I got you guys. You're good. You guys were great. Like, I loved you guys last night. Yeah, so we saw us play. That was pretty cool. That word on the street was, too, after this, he wanted to sign us to Adeline. It never really happened. I do know for a fact, because I overheard this, Jason White was there. You know, like I said, he did end up in Green Day. He wasn't in Green Day at the time. After we played, I heard him tell somebody, he turned around to somebody and goes, God damn, those guys were great. And I was like, oh, well, thank you. Well, let me. Yeah, I was patting myself on the back. Yes, Jason White and Billy Joe, both eventually of Green Day, did like Tilt Wheel. Thank you. And that's about it for that tour, really. I mean, after that, we headed back to San Diego. We had a couple more stops, San Pedro, a record store in Lake Elsinore, and a final show in San Diego with the Thumbs before the Thumbs were actually leaving from this tour to play in Hawaii, and then they were going on to tour in Japan for like another two weeks. So they had a good five or six-week tour out of this whole thing. That was rad. That was a fucking great, great tour. I cannot say now enough how rad I think all those guys in the thumbs are. To this day, Bobby, Mike, and Lee, dude, uh, greatest dudes ever. Lee's girlfriend, Megan, now they're married now, and they have a kid, which is awesome. We're friends on Facebook, of course. That's how all us old, you know, idiots keep track of each other Megan joined us for a short time she flew in to Oakland at one point and flew back out of like LAX we dropped her off before we hit San Pedro for one of the last shows which we didn't actually get to play and long story I kind of got sidetracked and didn't talk much about Andy but let me just say they're much more interesting because Andy was quiet right I mean Andy just kind of he was very unassuming and didn't get any any trouble or shenanigans or nothing Andy was great you know super great solid as a fucking rock the whole time i mean he played the shit out of bass on all those songs that we were playing he was great he's super super cool i loved andy yeah andy was a great bass player that was kind of the last time we saw andy though for a very long time when we got home we tried to get a hold of him say hey let's practice more let's we got new songs to write you know we got stuff shows coming up stuff to do but we never could get a hold of him i know davy tried for a while couldn't get a hold of him so eventually we gave up yeah, so we started looking for a new bass player. For now, we are going to take a break. Let's hear a few words from our good friends 
of Red Brontosaurus Records, located in the North Park neighborhood of San Diego, California. Stay tuned. Let's have a few words from Red Brontosaurus. Now, what do you think R2-D2 would want for Christmas? Well, let's ask R2. R2, what would you like for Christmas? I believe R2-D2 said he would like a record from Red Brontosaurus Records. That's right. Red Brontosaurus Records of San Diego, California, located at 3044 North Parkway. You can also reach them by phone at 619-795-1282 or on the internet at www.redbrontosaurus.com. Go on down to Red Brontosaurus for the record of your dreams. They have video games, movies, and more. That's right, Red Brontosaurus, located in the North Park neighborhood of San Diego, California. Drop on in and tell them that Bob sent you. And happy beep-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-bo
I guess, I don't know. I hate using those words describing the music. You know, we were growing and changing, get, getting more mature. Eh, that's like asshole talk for you're writing shitty songs. And I don't think these are shitty songs. I think they're fucking great songs. I love. We still play all but one of the songs on that Watch It Burn split to this day. So, yeah, they're really good songs. Some of the best Tilt Will songs Davey ever wrote, for sure. Yes, but they were a little different, for sure. Here's an example of why I say I think they're different. When I started dating my wife sometime in 2009, like late 2009, I played this split for her. And she said, that's not Tilt Wheel. I said, yeah, fuck, yeah, it's Tilt Wheel. It's me and Davey. You know, we had a different bass player, but yeah, that's definitely Tilt Wheel. My wife knew us from like around 1995 and on. Yeah, it did sound, so it sounded different from the Battle Hymns and Harebrained era Tilt Wheel stuff. It was different, but it was good. That was what I was trying to get out. I finally got it out. So yeah, yay me. Okay. Yeah. As far as the Tilt Wheel sound goes, this one was a little bit of a departure. The other thing about this recording that we did, God, we fucking nailed this recording out quick. Like one day, Jared and I did drums and bass in like just a couple hours, like did the three songs, boom, done. Wow. Okay. Davey did all the guitar stuff, I believe the same day. We were there for maybe like six, eight hours, something like that. Done. I think he even did some of the vocals. So I believe he came back. Yeah, he did come back to do some more vocal stuff because our friend Alicia came back with him to do some backups on the first song that I played, I think. Man, I never can remember. But yeah, you'll listen to it. You can hear somebody else singing other than Davey. And there you go. That's our buddy Alicia singing on the song. And that recording sounds fucking big. I think it's really a solid, good recording. And Jared was a fucking great bass player. He could play the shit out of that bass. While Jared was in the band, we played a few other shows. We played at Chain Reaction up in Anaheim with total chaos of all bands. It was fucking weird. That was kind of a Razor Cake event. This guy named Rich Macklin, who wrote these letters to like huge corporations and would like make books of their replies back to him. He was there reading from one of his books that Razor Cake had just put out. That guy got disgraced shortly after that because he was accused of sex, like multiple sexual assaults, I believe. Look into it, you know, follow up, check and make sure I'm actually telling the truth on that. So, but yeah, if I kind of remember that right, there was, there, there was. Uh, we also played a show at the Epicenter in Mira Mesa, I believe. We played a really weird show at a place called the Tight End in Solana Beach, uh, the locals were not happy with us. We were playing loud like we normally did, and they kept saying, turn it down, turn it down. We're trying to drink beer and, like, talk about surfing and shit. Yeah, yeah fuck you. The last show that we did play with Jared, though, was at Scolari's office in North Park. Davey was leaving. Again, for good this time. At the time, it was like, okay, I'm gone. I'm out of here for good. You know, this version of Tilt Wheel is pretty much done. That was going to be our last show was at Scolari's office in North Park. Davey wanted to tour. Jared and I couldn't really and didn't really want to too bad. So Davey was like, okay, well, I mean, I'm, I'm going to keep going with the band. I want to tour like crazy all the time. And this is what I'm going to do. And okay, yeah, no problem. I mean, whatever. The last show, I believe it was with Grabash Charlesons who were on tour. Jared and I did do something kind of shitty that night. We made Tilt Wheel play first so we could go home and go to work the next day. And I still feel bad about that. Man, that was like a very non-fucking punk thing for us to do. We should have stuck it out and played last as we were like the biggest local band on the show. Or I hate saying stupid shit like that, but 
we were like the band that might have held people there for the whole night but we said no you know what fuck we're leaving we're playing first and we're getting out of here and that was our last show with Davey for a very long time so that was it for Jared and I you know no more tilt wheel Davey moved I think in like late January early February 2002 I'm not exactly sure I can't find that show online to see you know if that fits in with the timeline of what I'm saying so I apologize for that the story doesn't end here, though, okay? Davey did end up coming back in December of 2002. In the meantime, though, Jared and I became much, much better friends. We hung out a lot. Uh, we even tried starting a new band with another guitar player. It didn't really go anywhere. I mean, I think we, like, kind of jammed. A co- and I, again, that's a word I hate. We kind of jammed a couple times, and eh, it just didn't really click that good. But most of the time when we would hang out, we'd just go out someplace and drink. Yes, excessively. Typically, uh, Jared was a rather thirsty lad. He truly was. He liked to drink. Yep. I was managing a truck parts business at the time. I fucking hated every minute of that stupid fuck that job. Fuck that job to this day. Fuck them. Fuck that company. That company is called Fleet Pride. Would you like to reference that world? Fuck you, Fleet Pride. Fuck you in the ass, you fucking pieces of shit. Shitty corporate job, man. Fuck that job. I hated it. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> back to Jared. I hired him to work in the shop. I needed a shop guy, and Jared was available. He had a hard time keeping jobs. Yes, he did. So I said, hey, man, come work for me. Okay, cool. The company had a, like, day at the races at the Del Mar horse racing track, and I took Jared as my plus one, more or less, as my date. Yeah. Oh, and he got so drunk. So, so incredibly, incredibly drunk. He was leaning on my boss's shoulder, like, totally talking shit to the guy. And it it was so great. I was, like, scared I was going to get in trouble. But I I was like, oh, dude, go. Go talk as much shit to this guy as you can. Like, he's going to give you, like, a pass because he knows you're shit-faced. And he's not really going to say much to me about it. Maybe he will. Fuck, I don't care. Just talk shit. So he did. Finally, my boss came up to me and said, hey, just get this guy out of here. You brought him here, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah. He's our shop guy, and he's my friend. He also played bass in my band, you know. Okay, just get him out of here. You guys get out of here. Okay, all right, thank you. Yeah, I'm out of here. So we left, not before Jared was screaming fucking obscenities to the double-decker buses full of tourists pulling up to the Del Mar racetrack, kind of driving around. He's like, hey, fuck yeah. <laughs> Dude, it was fucking hilarious. I was sober, by the way, so... I may not have appreciated that as much as I'm letting on, but yeah, in hindsight, it was pretty hilarious. So loaded him into my truck, headed back towards like he was living at his mom's in Vista, California at the time, started heading that way saying, hey, I'm going to drop you off at your mom's. He's like, no, no, don't. Had to pull over so he could puke. Oh boy. So I took him back to my house in Escondido. Here, sleep on my couch, dude. Sleep it off and then catch a ride home or I'll give you a ride home or something like that. He woke up a few hours later, and hey, fuck, he went out. All right, time to party. What are you doing, man? What do you want to do? Let's go drink. So, no, dude, I'm cool. That was kind of a gnarly day. I'm just going to chill and go to sleep. Oh, man, come on, come on. No, 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 Jared. You go. I'm going to stay here. All right, man, okay. All right, I'll see you later. Boom, off, and he went out partying again. Dude, that guy was like a partying machine. So, yes, he was. The dude, he was a drunk. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I love that dude to death, and I do... To this day, I truly, truly do. He drank a lot, dude. He was kind of gnarly. He, But he, that guy, he was so full of life. 
He just wanted to have a great time and live his life and just have as much fun as he possibly could. And drinking excessively was part of that fun. So there you go. I mean, I'm just going to say it. I have a lot of stories about him from this time. We don't really have the time to get into it too much. There wasn't too many things that were too interesting other than the fact that we ran around being in a couple drunk dipshits many, many times and had a great fucking time. We did crank calling people. Oh, yes. Yeah, we did that. Crank calling like his friends that I didn't really know and then calling back. Oh, guess what? That was Bob. Ha ha ha. Yeah, Bob from Tilly. Oh, that's fucking hilarious. Now, I, I had mentioned that we were working together. We did. We worked together for, I think, almost six months. The weekend of December 6th through December the 8th, that business that I managed had an inventory weekend. It was a weekend-long festival of fucking bullshit. Like, right around the holidays, this company did that every year. You know, a time when people usually spend time with their families and friends. Oh, no, we're going to make you work all, like, for fucking, you know, 14 days straight. Fuck you guys. Dick. Fuck that Fleet Pride. Again, remember that name. Write it down. Fuck you, Fleet Pride. Fuck you. So, uh, yeah, we had an inventory this weekend. Jared did not come in on that Saturday of the 7th. Now, we all started around 7 a.m. He didn't show up until, like, noon. So I said, because he was out partying the night before. So I told him, hey, dude, you got to be here on time, okay? You really do. This is important so we can all get out of here. Let me go back just a little bit to tell this little story before we move on. A little bit earlier in the year, maybe a couple months before this weekend in 2002, I had sold Jared my old truck, which was a 1990 Toyota pickup. And a couple weeks prior to this inventory weekend, Jared tried to jump the truck by hauling ass down this road, right? And there's a big dip in the road going like 80 miles an hour down this road, hitting this dip. And boom, like launching into the air. And that road was a road called Vulcan in Lucadia, California, where he lived. He had recently moved there, like around, I don't know, September, October of 2002. It's a little coastal town, just a little bit north of Encinitas. He almost fucking crashed the truck that night. But he did fuck the truck up to where it wasn't drivable, like broke the radiator and the radiator mounts and all this crap. And I was like, dude, what'd you do to my truck? You fucked it up. Don't do that again, dude. That's stupid. Like, you could fucking, yeah, you could fuck something up. You fucked up your truck, now you don't have transportation. How are you going to get to work? Well, he figured it out uh, with my help. Back to December 7th, Davey was back. Davey had moved back home. He had just gotten home that day. He came to our work, Davey and our friend Nicole Pyle, came by and to say hi to Jared and I. So it's super cool. That was the last time Davey and I would see Jared alive, okay? The very early morning hours of December 8th, 2002, Jared tried to jump that same dip in Lucadia, this time in his neighbor's car with his neighbor in the car. He was not wearing a seatbelt. Jared hit that dip at speed. They crashed. He was ejected from the car, and he died of his injuries that he sustained in that crash. Now, I had told him the day before on the 7th, if you're late tomorrow, I'm going to have to fire you. There, I have no choice. You're not giving me a choice, okay? Obviously, he didn't come in. A little later in that morning, on December 8th, I got a call from our mutual friend, Steve, that he had died in a car crash. Um, it's, fuck, it's hard to talk about. It is. I, I still remember that phone call, like, very, very vividly. Steve told me, like, are you sitting down? I said, no, I'm not sitting down. Why? What's up? You need to sit down. I said, Steve, just fucking tell me what you called to tell me. I had a feeling that it was not good. He said Jared passed away. I said, oh, fuck. Yeah, that was, uh, that was hard. The pain from 
that call and that moment, it still is very fresh in my mind. I will never forget that. I'm sure, you know, a lot of people go through that for sure. That's horrible. I don't ever want anybody to go through that. It's terrible. It's still fresh. But, you know, not only was Jared a bandmate from Tilt Wheel, he was also one of my best friends ever. I mean, we hung out a lot in those days from when Davey moved to when he came back and got really close. The only thing good that came out of that whole situation, really, I have to say this now, it definitely in hindsight kind of thing, is that Davey and I did become much, much closer with kind of the crowd that Jared ran with, with a bunch of people that we already kind of knew a little bit, but weren't super great friends with. I'm going to name some of those people now because they became great friends and they're all fucking absolutely incredible people. Some of that Esco Kids crew. That's Gary, Paul, Gabe, Brooke, Josh, Lene, Jenny, Joe, Pat, Adam, Mel, Alyssa, Heil, Scott, Trisha, Danny, Russ, Ryan Logan, who was Jared's roommate at the time of his passing, Ryan Dunham, Brian. There's so many more. I hope I got most of you guys because you guys, the time that we spent after he passed meant so much to me. It really did because it helped in the healing so much. We did it as a group, really. I mean, we, we helped each other on our ways to keep moving through life. Like I said, they were all friends, especially of Jared's before he passed. Davey and I became so, so much closer to all of them after that. Jared's funeral, it, it, that was weird and horrible. And even in hindsight, a little funny, it, really weird to say that, but you know, the words that they were speaking up at the podium, Jared's family was very Mormon, okay? They were not about the friend that we knew. So I, I wrote to Paul, Paul Anderson, who becomes a member of Tilt Wheel here shortly, okay? I wrote to him prior to this podcast, and I had some questions about Jared, mostly for my own clarification to make sure that I was stating things correctly. When I asked Paul, I said, hey, give me a funny story about Jared that you can remember that you know, just strikes as your mind as like, this is a very kind of a funny, interesting story. What Paul said, he mentioned Jared's funeral. This is a direct quote from Paul, okay, from his email. Paul, I hope you don't mind I'm doing this. But Paul said, when all of his friends showed to his funeral, the way his mom and his pastor talked about him made it sound like he was a devout Mormon. We all walked out of the service and we're like, what the fuck? Did they even know him? And it was true. Like I said, Jared's family were super devout Mormons. And fuck, Jared was about as devout to the religious faith of Mormonism or Latter-day Saints or whatever the fuck those morons call themselves. He was about as devout to them as he, the average Satanist was, okay? I walked out of the funeral. I couldn't take it. They started talking all this shit like, and Jared loved Joseph Smith or whatever the fuck so much. I was like, man, you guys, fuck you guys. And like, I'm out. We woke Jared. We woke him in our the best way we could after that funeral. And we continued to do so for a couple weekends after. Um, we definitely would all meet up and go drinking and partying. I, I missed three Mondays after Jared passed away by calling in sick to work. We partied so hard on those weekends. But we were hanging out. You know, we missed the guy, man. I mean, honestly, it, we yeah, we missed him. Jared Preston Adams was born on June 15th of 1979, and he passed away on December 8th of 2002. And he would have been 40 years old today as of this podcast. He is 23 when he passed away. That, that's way, way, way too young. He, it really is. After Jared passed, uh, Davey and I, I think that was it. We were pretty much done. We, we were like, okay, yeah, let's call it. I mean, that that completely took the wind out of our sails. 
it gets a little interesting here. If I'm remembering things right, Davey and I were standing out in front of a little club in Escondido one night around Christmas of 2002 called The Metaphor. And we were talking to Paul Anderson, who was in a band called Slow Felt. We had played a show with them. I believe we kind of knew Paul from around here and there. Yes, Paul was in a band called Slow Felt. I will post his uh, phone number so you guys can text the shit out of him and make fun of him for being in a band called Slow Felt. The actual Slow Felt was fucking great. They really were. The singer and guitar player dude was like a massive dickhead. But Paul was a fucking insanely good drummer. And you'll see in later years playing with Tillwill, dude, he was gnarly. He was a great was it is a great drummer. But yeah, Paul's an awesome, awesome dude. And Slow Felt was a really good band. The singer was eh, he was a fucking weird dude, but yeah, other than that, they were great. That dude was a nut job though. Davey and I are standing out in front of the metaphor talking to Paul and kind of telling him, talking about Tiltwill, saying, well, it looks like we're pretty much done. You know, we I don't think there's any reason for us to keep going. Our bass player passed away. Ugh, you know, what do we do now? We, we think we feel like we're done. Well, Paul said, hey, you know what? Don't kill the band. Don't stop Tiltwill. I'll play bass for you guys. Let's keep it going. And so we thought about it, you know, and, okay, for a little bit. And maybe after a few days or something, we said, okay, you know what? Let's keep it going. Let's do it. Let's do it. You know, maybe partly in memory of Jared in some ways. Yes. I just think we weren't ready to to stop. We weren't ready to give in. We still had more to do. Paul Anderson of Slowfelt fame is now on base for Tilt Wheel. We practiced a few weeks after that night. And Paul thinks it might have happened at the metaphor or possibly at a party after the metaphor where we discussed him playing bass for us. But we did practice a couple weeks after that. We had a memorial show, more or less, for Jared on February 12th, 2003, at a place called the Cow Shed in San Marcos, California. That date was 2-12. That's very important here. Coming up, you'll see why. And that was Paul's first show with Tilt Wheel. What was the importance of the number 2-12? Very interesting story. And I kind of had an idea. I knew, but I wanted to ask our friend Gary Ban, our really great, awesome, good friend, Gary Ban of Accident Prone Records. He put out a split with Tilt Wheel and Notice on his label, Accident Prone, a few years before. Gary's an awesome dude. I love Gary so, so much. And thank you, Gary, so, so much. And thank you, Paul, too. I love you, too. Thank both you guys for answering my questions on this one. You guys helped me out immensely. I really appreciate it. So I asked Gary, what was the origin of 212? Because Gary was there for the origin story. He was a huge part of it. And I also wanted to ask Gary... How did you meet Jared? How did you guys become friends? That was kind of important for me to know. I, I had never heard how they became friends. Gary told me. Gary met Jared when Jared was living in Gary's cousin's garage in Escondido. Gary and Jared both were somewhere around 16 or 17 years old at the time. Jared was having some problems with his family and needed a place to live. Jared moved into Gary's cousin's house. Jared quickly fell in with Gary and the rest of the Esco kids. The rest is history. He became a part of that whole crew, which is rad. Now, the 212 story. I am going to read this verbatim in Gary's words. I think that's the best way to do it rather than me paraphrasing, okay? Here are Gary's words on the origin of why 212 was important to Jared and the ESCO crew. Apartment 212 in Escondido's Forest Glen Apartments is the first apartment that Jared or I had. I believe it was the first or second apartment anyone in our immediate friend group had. So it became a daily hangout spot for many of our friends. The type of place people felt comfortable just stopping in unannounced. It was Jared, Alyssa Rutledge, and me in a two-bedroom. 
Jared and I shared a room, which was the only way we could afford to get a place at 18 years old. I'll always remember how Jared survived on raw tuna out of the can, Mountain Dew, and two for a dollar sandwiches from Arby's. It's amazing what you can eat when you're young. Yes, it is. This is a side note for me. Yes, it is. Jesus Christ. I did the same thing with tuna, dude. Completely survived on it when I had no money. At some point, we started saying 212 in the distinct way we did and developed the 212 gang sign. We used it to find our friends in large crowds at shows, festivals, and other events. 212 or apartment 212 only lasted six months, but it was a ton of fun. After the deaths of Jay, second class, and bankers, and then Jared, we adopted February 12th as a day to remember and celebrate those we've lost. It's a day to celebrate their lives and remind those we still have how much we love them. Yeah, that's great, Gary. Thank you again so much, man. I love you, dude. So awesome. So great for replying. Yeah, the history in that means so, so much to me. So I really appreciate it. Okay, now after Jared passed, Davey and I, Gary, our friend Gary here, and also Alyssa, who was a roommate of Jared in that same apartment, 212, went to a tattoo shop in Escondido and got, we all got 212 tattoos, just like Jared had, because Jared had that 212 tattooed on his arm, I believe, you know, in kind of reference to that first apartment they all had. Davey and I got the numbers in kind of the jawbreaker font or logo style. That was Davey's idea, and I'd just go, hey, yeah, yeah, I want to do that too. Yeah, it looks awesome. It's obviously still have it. Uh, it's very faded, but it's there. Moving on, you know, the Paul years, they started at the very beginning of 2003. Can you guess what the next episode in the Tilt Wheel series is going to be about? Paul. Yep, it's all going to be about Paul. I think the Paul years are going to cover probably a couple podcasts because we had some good times. We did a lot of stuff, had some really great times. And Paul is such a rad dude, such a great bass player and drummer. We have a lot to talk about during the Paul years for sure. Okay, so that's basically it. I mean, for this episode, I hope you enjoyed it. The Jared part, I'm sorry, you know, that's something that's kind of hard for me to talk about. Something that's probably a little hard for you to listen to as well, especially if you knew him. We all miss him. Everybody who knows him misses him. I know that for a fact. You know, of all the people that I know that knew him, he still comes up whenever I see them. Kind of think, yeah, it's really, he touched a lot of people, man. He was a magical kid. He really was. He was a very, very special person. He was wild as shit. But, yeah, he was a magic and special guy. I've never met anybody like him. Never, ever met him. And I will never, ever forget him. I loved him dearly. I really, really did. What I do hope, I do hope that maybe me speaking about him and, you know, some of the little stories that I told about him, I know I did dwell on his passing a little bit because that's a big part of this story, of the Tilt Wheel story, and my story as a human being of, of my life because it affected me profoundly. But I do hope that just by speaking about him, kind of the good things, that that'll bring him back just a tiny bit to anybody listening that knew him or didn't know him just for a little bit, you know, to feel kind of that magic, that that happiness and joy and even kind of like shitty happiness and joy that he would bring with him when he was super drunk. I would just I hope that that brought him back for a little bit because it did for me I feel like uh in my heart of hearts I I feel a little bit more of a Jared there you know what I mean by talking about this so thank you guys so much for listening thank you to Plan 9 Alehouse of Escondido for the beer of this episode don't forget drop by ask for the I want to party with Bob food special grab a beer or three while you're at it 
They have some of the best beer I have ever had in my life, seriously. And also, don't forget, get your butt down to Red Brontosaurus Records in North Park. I can think of at least five records I've seen there the last time I was in that I'd love to have for Christmas. Uh, do you guys want my Christmas list of records at Red Brano? I'm going to throw it out at you. You know, you never it's never not too late for Christmas here for me. Okay, here's my list. If anybody wants to oblige, uh, I would like the first record of Suicidal Tendencies they have there. There's a Capital Punishment record there that they have that I would like, a Weird Al record, a Fishwife record, and the Lords of the New Church is Nothing Sacred have all been seen recently at Red Bronto, and they all have my name all over them. So, yeah, Christmas is coming up soon, next Wednesday, but you guys better hurry. That's just a small sample of all the good stuff Red Brontosaurus has in stock. What are you waiting for? Get in there. Come on, Chief. Get it. Get your stuff. Get those records. Get me what I asked for. Make sure you get something for yourself while you're in there, too. I appreciate it. Great. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Bobcast wherever you listen to podcasts. I would appreciate it. I will leave you with the Tilt Wheel song, Kids Enthralled by Fish, Erie, Pennsylvania, from the Watch It Burn Tilt Wheel split called Twice the Dose. I am going to dedicate this podcast to the ones that we've lost, to Jared Adams, and also two other people who were mentioned during the course of this episode, our great and dear friends, Steve Pro and Mark Shaw, who was one of the drummers for Tilt Wheel, the Texas version of Tilt Wheel. Unfortunately, we have lost all three of these fine, fine people. They left us far, far too soon. The world is much the worse for their passing. So RIP to all you guys. I miss you guys and love you guys. Here is Tilt Wheel. Thanks for listening and good nights. Time.